Father, we thank you that we can come together and worship you on this last Sunday of 2019, on the last Sunday of, of a decade. And thank you for the opportunity to come around your word. And even as Freddie just read to us from 2 Timothy, we recognize that the days that we live in are dark and people are not seeking after you. Uh, and really, we understand that there have always been difficulties like this because people have pursued their own ways and their own lusts. We thank you for Jesus who came to die on the cross for our sin. Thank you for the celebration that we had this week of, of his birth. And uh, we're looking forward to celebrating his resurrection here in a few short months. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us in your word. We thank you, even as this passage was read, that we're reminded that uh, the Word of God has everything that we need to teach us and instruct us and help us to live as you would have us to live. Bless our service now as we worship you together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love Psalm 1. This is one of those that I memorized when I was a little boy, and it's wonderful truth for us as we consider ending 2019 and getting ready to begin 2020. Somebody was saying this morning, it's hard to believe we're 20 years past when we thought the world was going to end and uh, we weren't going to have power and lights and water and all those things. And uh, maybe some of you are still eating that uh, canned food and stored food that you saved up from back then. And if you are, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's probably not very good anymore. Uh, but uh, thankful that the Lord has given us another year and each day really is a gift from Him and uh, each breath for that matter, is a gift from God, and we ought to be thankful for that. And I'm thankful for all that God has done this past year, and looking forward to as long as He uh, tarries and does not return, what He's going to do in our church and in our lives in 2020. But whatever happens, I am praying that He will come back soon, and I hope that you're ready to see Him. Many times as we get ready for a new year, we wish people a happy new year, and I was thinking about that, how often it's just a wish. Uh, but in God's Word, there's some truth on how we can take that and turn it to a reality. And that the new year not just be something we wish people that it would be happy. But God's Word actually has instruction on how we can be happy. How we can, as it says in Psalm 1, be blessed. And I hope you'll follow along as, we, as I read Psalm 1 to you this morning. And then give us some thoughts from it on how to turn Happy New Year from a wish to a reality. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous." But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Each year I, I often will make a list of goals and things that I'm trying to accomplish or grow into that year. And over the past couple of weeks, I went back and reviewed my list from 2019 to see how I did. And uh, began writing down some things and looking toward this next year. Some personal goals, some family goals, and some church goals. And looking forward to sharing some more of those things with you in the coming weeks as we look forward to in, in a couple of weeks having a special Sunday where I try to take some time and lay out where we're going to be going in our Bible study and preaching over the next year and, and where we're going to be uh, going as far as our outreach and ministry as God allows over the next year and what we're planning to do going forward for the work of the Lord because God truly has given us a great work to do, hasn't He? And I'm thankful for all the things that He's blessed and allowing us to do it. But as we read Psalm 1, we see a characteristic right away of this individual, and it's the first word of the psalm, that this person is blessed. 
What does it mean to be blessed? Well, you can look at it from a couple different perspectives. One is that you've received a lot of blessings, right? That somebody has given you a lot. And that's definitely part of this person here in this passage, that they've received many blessings. But the main idea of this word here is not so much on what he has received, but rather who this person is. This person has become a blessed individual. It is a character quality about them. In fact, this word as it's used throughout the Old Testament. It's used some 45 times. And in some cases, it's translated happy. And in some cases, it's translated blessed. It's used in Deuteronomy 33, 29, where it's translated happy. And it refers to people who have been saved by the Lord. A person who's been saved is blessed. It's used in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 9, where it's translated happy once again. And it refers to people who hear God's wisdom. Someone who hears God's wisdom is blessed. It's used in Job 5 verse 17. It's also translated happy. And it refers to someone who, whom God corrects. So someone who's not living like they should and God has corrected them. Job says that person is happy. Or blessed. It's used in Psalm 2, just maybe the next page over in your Bible or just the very next psalm. It's translated blessed and it's referring to someone who trusts in the Lord. Psalm 2, 12, it says if you trust in the Lord, you'll be blessed. It's used in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. It's translated blessed and it refers to children who have a father who walks in integrity. Children, if you have a, a dad that walks in integrity, you are blessed, the Bible says. And men, what a great challenge to us as fathers. If God's given you the privilege of being a father, or maybe someday give you the privilege of being a father, the Bible says if you walk in integrity, your children are blessed. They'll be happy. I'm not going to read all 45 occurrences, but those are just a few, a sampling, because as you look through all of them, they all refer to these types of things. Someone who hears God's word, someone who walks in wisdom, someone who walks in integrity, someone who God corrects. All of these instances of someone who is happy or blessed in the Old Testament, and then that translates on into the New Testament, all have to do with the person who walks with God. It's very interesting as we think of coming into this new year that if we're going to be happy and not just be a wish, but it be our reality, if we're going to be blessed, it all has to do with our relationship with God. It would seem to me that there's no true happiness apart from a relationship with God. There are a lot of pseudo happinesses out there, a lot of false happiness, a lot of happiness that comes and goes, a lot of simple pleasures. But true happiness is not just finding pleasure, it's fulfilling a purpose as well. Because pleasures come and pleasures go, but as we fulfill the purpose that God has given us, there is great pleasure in that as well. And that's where we find true happiness or blessedness. So this blessed is not so much as what this man has received, as rather his response to what he has received and how he's living because of the person that he is. This message is very simple this morning, but I hope it'll be helpful to us as we consider what we're going to do as we continue to walk forward in our relationship with God. I want you to notice, first of all, three things that a happy person doesn't do. Three things that a happy person doesn't do. And if you know Psalm 1, these will be very familiar to you. Notice in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not, these are things he doesn't do, in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's three things here that this person does not do. Number one, this person doesn't behave like the wicked says that they should. That's the first one there. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. In the Bible, often when it refers to walking with someone else, it's the idea of a lifestyle or, or what we do, 
It's not just, hey, I went out on a walk this morning and enjoyed the scenery, but it's, it's, it's our life. It's what we're doing day by day. And it says here that the person who does not walk in the counsel or pay attention to and listen to and obey the things that the ungodly say to do says this person is blessed. So if we're going to have a happy new year, if it's going to be a reality and not just a wish, then we must be careful not to follow in and and obey the counsel of ungodly people. There are many ungodly people in our world. You can read books written by them. You can watch things on TV by them. You can even talk with them in your places of work and, and even in your family sometimes. This is not saying that we have no associations with or we're never around ungodly people. Rather, it's saying when we get ungodly counsel, don't walk in it. Don't do what the ungodly say to do. The second thing that this happy person does not do is that we are not to follow in the path of sinners. He says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. So there's this way, that's the sinner's way, and there's this way, that's the righteous way. And he says, don't go stand in the way of sinners. Don't walk in their way. So how do we do that? Well, as we follow after God, we're making a choice to walk in His way and not in the way of sinners. So if we're going to be happy in this new year, it's very important that we not stand in the way of sinners. Again, this isn't speaking about association because that would go against what the Bible says, that we are to be in the world but not of the world. This is not telling us to cut ourselves off and no longer speak to anybody that's a sinner because that would be completely contrary to what Jesus himself did. But rather it is saying that we don't need to behave like sinners. We don't need to walk in their way. The third thing that this happy person does not do is to join in with or accompany people who mock God. The first two things here, the ungodly and the sinners, are both general terms referring to people that just don't do right, that aren't following after God. This last term, it talks about the scornful, the scoffers. This is a very specific term. This is somebody who is actively opposing God by what they say. They are mocking God. They are speaking out against God. And he says, don't sit with these people. Don't associate with these people. Don't join in with these people. Sometimes this is the kind of stuff that happens when we're not around church, when we're around friends or family or co-workers and and people begin to speak out against God or speak out against truth and against righteousness. And sometimes it's a lot easier to just sit with them and let it pass or maybe even join in to try to fit in with them. He's saying if you're going to be a truly blessed individual, don't accompany the scorner. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. These verses are dealing with what we allow to influence our lives. Are we going to allow the wicked, the ungodly, the scornful to influence us? Or, but, that's verse 2, are we going to allow God's Word and the law of God and who God is be our influence and our direction and our guide into the next days, weeks, months, years decades of our life. The Psalms are wonderful. It's it's poetry, of course, and so it's very picturesque language. We have this person who's, who's walking, who's talking, who's sitting with other people. That's allowing himself to be influenced by somebody else. And then in verse 2, he tells us what we should be doing to be happy. As you know, anytime you make a choice in life, In essence, when you choose to do one thing, by default, you are choosing not to do something else. Because the Bible is very clear, no man can serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or hold to the one and despise the other. 
You can't go two directions at the same time. Some people try to do that, and I'll just tell you right now, you won't be happy. It's never comfortable to ride the fence, both literally and figuratively. You're either on one side or on the other. The man who is blessed, the individual who is blessed, the person who is blessed is someone who does not walk in the way of sinners, who does not talk and go in the way of ungodly, who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Verse 2, but, and this is the big contrast, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. These are things a happy person does. Number one, he delights in the law of the Lord. To delight in something is to find your joy in something, to find your fulfillment in something. We all have things that we delight in, don't we? We, we delight, many of us, on Christmas morning in seeing our children or grandchildren opening their gifts and seeing the looks of excitement and joy or, or tears or jaws dropped wide open. Wow! And we delight in that. It's special because we see somebody else enjoying themselves. There were a bunch of people that were delighting in a, a, a couple of football games yesterday. And there were a bunch of other people who didn't delight in a couple of football games yesterday. Depending on which team you were cheering for, determined a lot of whether you were delighting in that or not. And yet, there are many people who over the course of this next week, with all the various games and bowls and things going on, they're going to delight themselves in that. They're going to find their joy in doing that. Some people will delight themselves as they turn on the TV and watch the parades and all those various things that happen around the new year. All those exciting things. Last night, I heard some people out delighting in their fireworks. I mean, I'm thinking, it's Saturday night. It's, it's not Christmas. It's not New Year's. It's just Saturday night. So we're going to have fireworks, and uh, it's going to go till 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning with firecrackers and booms and bangs. And, and uh, they were just excited. I don't know what they were celebrating, but they were celebrating. All right. That's great. I'm glad that there's some happy people out there. Just celebrate for no good reason at all. They're just celebrating, keeping the rest of us awake. You know, glad somebody's happy, right? We're sitting there in bed. What's wrong with those people? Why don't they go to bed? They're just delighting themselves. And they don't care what you think. They're just having a good time. And you know, that's kind of how it is when you delight in something, isn't it? You're enjoying yourself so much doing what you're doing that you're not worried about what anybody else thinks about what you're doing. You're just enjoying yourself. You're having a great time. And, and you're enjoying it so much, you're not concerned about what's going on outside of your situation. You're just enjoying your situation. You know, you know Christmas morning, it would have seemed strange, wouldn't it? If as my children were sitting there opening gifts, I'm over here scrolling through Facebook. Trying to see what everybody else is doing. My kids will probably look at me and say, what's wrong with you, Dad? Aren't you here to enjoy what we're doing? If I was doing that, I would by default be saying, I don't delight in my children opening the gifts. This isn't really enjoyable for me. I've got to find delight in what somebody else is doing. Delight is a very simple thing, and I think we understand it very well. But when we delight in something... We're finding our joy, our fulfillment, our, our excitement in a certain thing to the exclusion of everything else. He says the happy person, the blessed person delights in the law of the Lord. How do you delight in the law of the Lord? Well, we find joy in reading God's Word. Now, reading God's Word is work. I understand that. It takes time. Some people say, I'm just not a good reader. Well, it's worth working at because it's where true happiness comes from. And some of you say, well, I don't know, it's work. Everything, if you think about it, is work, except maybe laying in your bed doing nothing, right? But everybody generally spends time doing things. Like yesterday, we were out raking some leaves, and... 
we're trying to rake all these leaves up into piles and put them in bags and clean it up and get the yard cleaned up and ready. And I noticed one of my boys was diligently putting lots of leaves in a bag and another boy was picking up one leaf at a time and throwing it into the bag. Now, which one was working harder? Well, if we counted as calories burned, it was probably pretty equal, right? And yet one was moving things forward a lot quicker than the other. I finally said to the one that was just throwing one leaf at a time, I said, they're like, well, this is hard work. I said, you're working just as hard as the other person. You're just a lot less efficient because you're just delighting yourself <laughs> in one leaf at a time instead of picking up the handfuls, right? And that's how we are as human beings sometimes, isn't it? We'll get over here and work really hard and sweat and do something, but we think it's fun, but we look at something else like maybe reading God's Word and we say, oh, that's hard work. I don't want to do it. You know, you get to determine and you decide what is fun and what is not fun. Some people look at all those guys out there sweating and playing football and hitting each other and say, oh, they're sweaty and smelly and they're hitting each other. That doesn't look like fun at all. They're having fun. Believe it or not, they're having a great time. Some people have fun by going out and catching fish. Yesterday we were throwing out the leaves and we put them in the dumpster and Elijah decided to climb in and see what was in the dumpster. He found all kinds of fishing tackle in the dumpster. Somebody had come along and cleaned out their garage and put it in Alan's dumpster. He appreciates that. It wasn't too much stuff because most of it's at my house now. <laughs> Elijah went dumpster diving yesterday and he found all kinds of fishing tackle. I mean, he found a tackle box full of stuff. He found another one of those big soft-sided uh, tackle boxes that's, uh, I mean, it was, he's got hooks and lures and bobbers for days. I mean, he, he even found part of an electric fillet knife. I made him get rid of that because it was only part of the knife. It, it was broken. I said, we, we don't need a broken knife floating around the house. That's probably not a good thing. But he was excited. He enjoyed what he found. And it's funny because he worked really hard digging through all the stuff in the dumpster. But to do the same amount of work and pick up leaves wasn't as much fun. Why? Because we determine what the fun is, don't we? It's fun for an eight-year-old to dig through a dumpster and find fishing lures. And some of you go, well, that doesn't sound fun to me at all. We decide what we delight in, don't we? And we can choose to delight in the law of the Lord. It's up to you. The problem is not this book. The problem is you and me. If you're not delighting in the law of the Lord, the problem is not the law of the Lord. The problem is, is you. It's your view of it. It's how you approach it. I wrote this down. When we read God's Word, don't read it just as a completion grade, just to mark a box and say, well, I read my Bible today. Don't read the Word of God just as a way to know yourself better. Sometimes people read God's Word just, just so I can find out more about myself. Don't read the Word of God just to find out all the answers to your questions, even though it has the answers to your questions, even though you can find out more about yourself, even though you could just read it just to check a box. Instead, read the Word of God to get to know your God, your Creator, your Savior, your Father. It's about developing a relationship with an Almighty God who gave His Son so that you and I might have eternal life and have purpose and have life and happiness. It's about getting to know Him above everything else. And if you read God's Word to know God, you can delight yourself in the Word of God. That's how you get through some of those difficult passages. This is a hard passage. You know, occasionally Shandy will say things to me that I don't understand either. I got to ask her questions and I kind of got to work through it. And she explains to me her feelings and her thoughts. Men for centuries have been trying to figure out all the things about women and understand everything about them. But it hasn't stopped us from trying, or it shouldn't. Still see, people, still see those guys out there asking girls on dates and trying to get to know them. 
If they were really so impossible, why do all these guys keep doing it? Well, because they know there's delight, there's joy in a close relationship, in a marriage relationship. And in fact, God created us that way. And I believe just as God created us as men and women to enjoy in a biblical sense the relationship of marriage, so too God created us to enjoy a relationship with Himself. And the way we get to know God is through His Word. The blessed individual delights in the law of the Lord. He finds joy in reading God's Word and finding joy then in obeying God's Word. It's not as clear here in our English translation, but the idea here, delighting in the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord is referring to God's instructions. It's not just teaching about God, it's teaching from God. So if we're going to delight in God's instruction, that means not just reading it, that means obeying it. That means doing what it says. True delight in knowing God doesn't just come from knowing about God. It comes in walking in obedience to God. There are a lot of people, believe it or not, that know a lot about God that have no delight in who God is. It's because they're not walking in close fellowship in obedience to what He says. Studying your Bible won't make you happy if that's where you stop. True joy, true blessedness, true happiness in the spiritual life, in your relationship with God comes from knowing it and then doing it. Otherwise, you just get frustrated because you know a lot of things and you're thinking a lot of things. You got a lot of questions. And you're trying to figure it out. But when you begin to do it, it makes a lot more sense. It's sort of like if all you did was study how to do a certain skill. You know, maybe you read lots of books about woodworking. And there's a certain measure of enjoyment in that. You might know a lot about it. But until you go out and you get those tools and you start cutting the wood and shaping it and doing things with it, you won't, you won't have the same amount of joy until you actually do it, right? Those of you woodworkers, you understand. You can study a lot on how to fix a car, but until you get under the hood and actually get it running where it wasn't running before and now it is, and it's working and it's fixed and it's going, there's some delight in that, isn't there? I've met a lot of first-time parents and they've read a lot of books on how to be a, a great parent and how to raise children and they, they got all these questions and they think they have a lot of answers as well and they're very smart and knowledgeable about it all. But the true delight comes as you begin to raise your children. It's also work, I understand, but you see them go on and do right. There's great delight in that as a parent. You can go to college and you can study and you can learn a trade or a skill so that you can have a career and that's all exciting and wonderful for a time. But there comes a point where you've got to go out and do what you've learned to really be able to participate in the true full delight that comes from that item or that area of instruction. In God's Word, it's not just delighting in reading it. It's then finding joy in obeying God's Word. This is not just a daily drudgery, but rather a delight, something we look forward to, learning more about who God is and then being able to go out and live it better for Him. Some people say, well, I've, I've read that part before. It's enjoyable to go back and read it again, to understand and be reminded of who God is and what He's done for us and His great work on our behalf, to understand His character and, and His work in this world and to be able to live in obedience to Him. This happy person delights in the law of the Lord. And then the second half of verse 2, it says, And in His law doth He meditate day and night. The person that delights in the law of the Lord to read it and to do it, they will want to think on it and go over it again and again, day and night, meditating in the daytime, meditating in the nighttime. I love to think about things that make me happy. When someone gets saved, I can't wait to tell somebody else about it. I can't wait to tell somebody else what God did. When someone gets baptized in our church, I can't wait to tell somebody about it. We want to post a picture of that. We want to tell somebody about that. 
When I learn something during my time of Bible study, I enjoy thinking about it, sharing that with somebody else. It fills me up with joy to know that God is speaking to me. This happy person delights in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth he meditate day and night. And then number three, we see some characteristics of this happy person. The psalm moves into a metaphor. He shall be like a tree. Like a tree. So you're going to be tall. This isn't what he's talking about, this tree. Notice about this tree. He goes on in the illustration. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Let's just take a few minutes and look at this first, because there's a lot that we can learn about this happy individual from verse number 3. The characteristics of the happy life, the first characteristic we see here is that finding the true source of life makes you happy. It says this tree is planted by the river of water. It, this tree gets its source of life from the water that flows close by its roots. Now think about this. This psalm was written in kind of a, a drier climate in the Middle East. This is not talking about a, a tropical place where uh, there's you know, a, a big jungle. This is talking about a drier climate where they would irrigate and, and the tree would be planted close to an irrigation canal or a place where it would get regular water to its roots. That water would cause the tree to be rooted strongly. It would know where its source of life comes from. And I would say as a believer, as an individual, if we're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, we know where our source of happiness comes from. That it comes from God and not from anything else. That tree finds its source of life in the water. It's not something the tree did. It's something the tree received from an outside source. We don't find our happiness just by looking inside of ourselves. No, we find joy and happiness as we receive the source of life, the water of God's Word, as it fills us up, as it strengthens us, as it guides us, and as it directs us. So we see the happy person, that's the tree. and We see the rivers of water. Again, comparing this back to verse 2, this is referring to the Word of God. I think also this person, this individual, finds the true source of life. It makes them happy. But we see that knowing that whatever you do will prosper also makes you happy, also makes you blessed. It says at the end of verse 3, And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if you took out your list of things that you're going to do in 2020 and somebody came over and said, that's a good list. In fact, I'm going to let you know right now, you're going to prosper in everything that you put on that list. That would be a good feeling. Some people say the worst time to go to a gym is the two weeks after a new year because it's when all the people are trying to commit to this new faithful workout regimen and it lasts them about two weeks and then they go back to life as usual. And next Christmas, they're just as fat as they were this Christmas, right? Because it's hard to stay consistent on those things. The, the people perhaps don't get the immediate results like they want, and soon they aren't coming back to the gym. I want you to notice about this tree planted by the rivers of water. Notice when it brings forth fruit. It says, which bringeth forth his fruit, in his season. You say, what's that mean? Well, we understand trees bear fruit in a certain season. Trees don't bear fruit year-round. There's a certain season where they bear fruit. That's why over the last couple of weeks we've had lemons brought into the church. We've had oranges brought into the church because they are in season here right now. Different trees have different seasons. Sometimes when people think about walking with God, developing a relationship with God, they want to just see fruit all the time. They want every day to just be exciting, great, perfect, and feel like, man, it's awesome every single day with God. Let me tell you, your feelings won't always be excited. 
it's not always a good feeling doing right. Sometimes it's hard to do right. But what's wonderful here is there is this sense of guarantee in this verse. It's repeated twice. That He will bring forth His fruit in His season. So there's a confidence that the fruit will come, that there will be fruit, first of all, and that the fruit will come in the appropriate time. And then we see it repeated again. And whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. So we can take great confidence knowing this, in a sense, is a promise from God that if we will do it God's way, there will be fruit. But no, the fruit comes in due season. The Bible says in another passage that we shall reap in due season if we faint not. So just because you've begun to walk with God, just because you're studying God's Word, just because you're trying to delight in it and do right, don't expect to always see all the results you want to see right away. Just like if you commit in 2020 to go to the gym three times after week two, you're still probably going to feel pretty awful going to the gym because it takes time, doesn't it, to be able to see the results, see the fruit that we want to see. Healing takes time. Growth takes time. Fruit takes time. So this characteristics of the happy life, knowing where the true source of life comes from, knowing that whatever you do will prosper, will make you happy. But know that prospering comes in its season. And prospering also comes, if we refer back to verse 2, according to the law of God. That's where we have to be very careful. Again, this is about a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that, okay... So if I do, if, if I'm delighting in God's Word, then I can just do whatever I want and God will bless it all. No, it, what I want to do will be what God wants me to do because I'm delighting in the law of the Lord. So God blesses as I'm obedient to what He tells me to do. It's not just I get to do whatever I want and God's going to bless it. God's going to prosper me wherever I go. Yes, wherever you go in accordance to His will in accordance to His Word. There will still be struggle. There will still be sin. We will still mess up. Other people won't change as fast as you think they should. You probably won't change as fast as you think you should. But if we do the will of God according to the Word of God, we can expect our situations, our actions, to prosper. He goes right on into verse 4, though. And he gives us some characteristics of the ungodly life, the unhappy life. It says the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not like the tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither, and whatsoever you do it shall prosper. They're not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Now, we don't see this as much in Houston. In fact, you don't see this at all in Houston. But if you drive out into the country, especially up into the Midwest, you'll see in the fall, in the harvest time, the combines driving through the field, harvesting the corn, harvesting the wheat, harvesting the different types of grain that are growing. And often coming out from behind the harvester is lots of dust and bits of the husks of grain blowing away in the wind. You don't want to stand downwind from a harvester in harvest time. You'll be covered in dirt and dust and grime and all of the chaff as it comes off from the grain. It just blows away. It's worthless. It doesn't last. So in comparing this with a tree planted by the river of water, I would say the chaff, it has no root. It's not stuck anywhere. It's not, it doesn't have any strong foundation. It's blown away with the wind. And it has no fruit. It has no value whatsoever. The fruit has already been taken out of the grain and that's just the leftover part. Here it's saying if you live a life according to the ways of the ungodly, you can live your life that way. You are free to choose. But he's telling you what the end result of that will be. That you'll be like chaff that's driven away by the wind. It'll be something but it won't be something of value. And it won't be something 
that lasts. Everybody's living for something, aren't they? Everybody's doing something with their life. The question is, are you doing something that will last? And are you doing something that has value? Chaff doesn't last because chaff doesn't have any value. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And he finishes off Psalm 1 in verses 5 and 6 as he brings it all back together. He says, therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Because the ungodly doesn't last, because the ungodly is not doing anything of value, they won't have any standing before God someday. They won't be able to stand before God and say, look, here's what I've done for you, Lord. God, here's how I've done things that have value. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us that someday that when we stand before the judgment, it's like all of our works will be passed through the fire. And the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. But the gold, silver, and precious stones will remain. So how can I live my life and get gold, silver, and precious stones? Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Read God's Word. Obey God's word and end up with something that lasts. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. You see, the judgment will come. It comes for both groups, the righteous and the unrighteous, the blessed and the ungodly. Nothing the ungodly does will stand up before God's judgment. And this ought to be an encouraging thing for you in verse 6. If you are trying to do right and obey God, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Sometimes doing right can feel like a very lonely place to be. Nobody knows and nobody cares what I'm doing. Nobody even recognized me. Nobody thanked me. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. If God has you serving in a quiet, out-of-the-way place, you say, well, nobody knows when I'm praying for them. God knows. Nobody saw me out sharing the gospel with my neighbor. God knows. Nobody saw me when I had to take a stand and do right when everybody else was doing wrong. God knows. And if life is about a relationship with God, then that ought to be enough. We are serving for an audience of one. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So how to make a happy new year, not just a wish, a reality? Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Meditate in it day and night. As I've tried to emphasize this morning, it's more than just reading it, but that's where it begins. It's then learning to obey it. And we want to help you do that as a church. We want to help you in both areas. This morning as you leave the service, feel free to take one. We've printed out some Bible reading schedules for 2020. The way this is set up, it's on a single sheet of paper, but you'll see some lines in the middle of it. You can cut it out. It makes three bookmarks. And you can put those. there. It has the passages and it has the months. It has the days. It's all laid out for you. And if you want to follow this plan, if you have your own, it's okay. But if you want to follow this plan, it'll allow you to read in Genesis, Psalms, and Matthew all on the same day. So you have a New Testament, Old Testament, and a reading from Psalms every day. Again, if you follow your own plan, that's fine. I just want you to do it. Spend some time in God's Word. I would encourage you. Wouldn't it be great at the end of 2020 we could get together and and see how many people have read through their Bible in 2020. I think that would be a wonderful goal, and I'd like to challenge you to do that. I'm going to do that in 2020, Lord willing, and I hope you'll do that as well. If you follow your own schedule, keep track of it. I think it would be wonderful to encourage one another. Some of you meet and then are encouraging one another through weekly Bible study. If you're doing that, I would encourage you, whether it's this plan or another one, get one and start doing it together with somebody else where you can keep one another accountable. What are you reading? What are you learning? 
my wife and I, we just will send a, a little text message or, or a little note back and forth to one another, say, Here, here's what I read today, here's, here's what I learned from that, or here's one thought from what I read today. Reading God's Word. So that's one way we want to help you this year to do it. Another way we want to keep helping you to do it is we continue to meet together to worship God, to learn what the Bible says, and then to live it. Having spiritual accountability, having someone to come alongside you and teach you and lead you and help you learn is so important. And many of you already know that because you're experiencing that and you have. And I would urge you as we look forward into this next year to recommit yourself to that, to continue on it, to not stop. Our theme for 2019 was advance, taking the next spiritual step. We talked about winning one to Christ, finding somebody that you could share Jesus with and help them to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with God. And I'm thankful for a number of people that trusted Christ this year through the witness of people in our church. That's a blessing. But then we talked about leading one, finding somebody else that you could lead in your spiritual journey and help them grow in their spiritual walk with God. And then following one. That's how we continue to grow in God's Word as we find others who can help to teach us and lead us to walk in obedience to God's Word so that we can continue to take one, take those next spiritual steps that God wants us to be. A walk with God is a personal relationship with God. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens as we delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. And in His law, meditate day and night. I know it's work. But everything that's really good takes effort, takes work. I promise you, if you'll be faithful to do these things this year, your year may not end up exactly how you expect it to be. It may not be what you would list as the perfect year. But God does promise that if you'll do these things, you will be blessed, happy. Maybe not happy with the circumstances of the world around you. Maybe not happy with all of the other situations that you're going to go through this year. But you will be happy, blessed in your relationship with God. Because He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And He'll give you the purpose, the ability to live out that purpose as you walk in faithfulness with His Word. So in the last Sunday of the second decade, of the second millennium, after the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, may we be faithful to delight in the law of the Lord. And as we do so, we can understand and know with confidence that we will prosper, bear fruit, and be blessed. Father, help us. We've all been challenged about things in our lives before. And some sitting here today are probably examples of areas in their life where they failed to follow through on a challenge. Some may be nervous this morning to even commit to reading through their Bible this year because they've tried that before and failed. And I pray that past failures would not keep us from trying once again to grow and to walk in our relationship with you. Lord, may each person consider their own hearts and their own walk with you and how they can better delight in your word this morning. The person who has read through their Bible many times, may they con continue to do that, but also look to encourage others so that they can continue to grow. Lord, we don't want to get to the place in our lives where we've plateaued and leveled out and say, well, I've arrived, there's nothing more for me to do. Help us to draw closer and closer to you. You've said in your word, if we'll draw nigh to God, then he will draw nigh to us. Help us to walk in obedience. Lord, we pray for a great blessing in the hearts and lives of each individual who walks in obedience to your word. And we're thankful for the confidence that you give us, the promise of that blessing as we are obedient to you. Help us now as we take some time to consider and respond that each person will respond as you've led them to this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Would you just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for a few minutes? The pianist is going to come and play a verse or two of invitation. And as we finish out this portion of our service this morning, would you just take some time in your own heart this morning? If God has shown you something that you need to do in commitment to Him, would you give it to Him? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to just give Him your life. You might say, I've, I've lived it long enough going my own way. While there's been joys and happinesses along it, I know something's missing. I don't have this personal relationship with God, but I'd like to have that. This would be a wonderful day to give your life to Christ. Do it. Give it to Him. Confess your sin and trust in Him. He'll receive you today. For those who have that relationship with God, ask yourself, how, how could I grow in that relationship? How, how could it be better? So we finish this year and look into the next. Don't wait any longer. Don't say, well, I'll wait till next week. I'll, week. I'll wait till January 1st. I'm really busy right now. I've got a lot of decorations to take down. I'll, I'll pursue this later. Don't wait. Pursue after God now. You trust the Lord and walk with Him. You take the first step. He'll be with you on the second. Let's follow Him. We're going to take some time as we finish off our last Sunday morning service of 2019 to observe the Lord's table this morning. If you're with us today, and if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you're uh, walking in obedience with Him, we invite you to join in this with us this morning. But I want to take just a few minutes and read from 1 Corinthians 11. He says in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. When He had given thanks, He brake it and said, Take, eat. This is My body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup... Ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, don't take advantage of what Christ did. Don't misunderstand what we're recognizing this morning. This is not just a time to eat and drink. This is a time to remember and to be thankful for what Christ did for us on the cross. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned of the, with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together, to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. And uh, as we take some time this morning, just a moment as they come to serve this here in a minute, we will take some time for us to examine our hearts. And I hope you've already done that even before coming to church today. It's hard to worship God when you're holding sin or bitterness in your heart. And if there's something between you and God this morning, I ask you to give it to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. If you need to make something right with somebody else, do that this morning. I think it shows great trust in the Lord and great value on what Christ did for us if we would stop what we're doing long enough and put aside our own selfishness long enough to say, Lord, before I... Thank Jesus for what He did for me. I'm going to act in the reality of His forgiveness. And I'm not going to let myself walk in sin. I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and I'm going to ask God to help me do right.
before I begin to partake in this remembrance of what Jesus did for me. So let's just take a moment, bow our heads and close our eyes and just give you some time there in your seat to pray. And there's something God has spoken to your heart about. Make it right with Him this morning so that you can join with us as we partake in the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come before you now. Pray that each heart that's here this morning, each person would be right with you. Lord, let us not hold so tightly onto ourselves and our sins that we miss out on the great blessing that it is to have a relationship with you. Bless our time now as we remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. For it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Would you come this morning, men, and help me as we pass this out this morning? We're going to begin with the bread as, as Christ did that night there. As He was with His disciples in the upper room, preparing for His own death. Now, you probably understand this, but maybe you don't if you're newer to the God's Word and the Bible study, but what Jesus and His disciples were doing that night before His death on the cross was not something new. In fact, it was something that had been done for many, 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 many years, thousands of years. They were observing the Passover. The time of Passover was a remembrance that the Jewish people held to and they were remembering what, Christ, or what God did for them when He helped them when they were enslaved in Egypt. And the tenth plague, as you know, was the plague where the firstborn son of each family who did not obey God was killed. But God had told the children of Israel, in fact, this message was available to all of the Egyptians as well, that if they would sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost and the lintel, the piece across the top, that the death angel would pass over their house. And that blood was a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that would one day be shed for the sins of all mankind. And it's the same picture we can look to today to say, if we are trusting in what Christ did for us, to wash away our sins, that's what this is picturing this morning. We are in a sense saying, I'm identifying with what Christ did. I'm trusting in His blood to wash away my sin so that we would not see death, but rather have eternal life, the Passover. So as Jesus and His disciples were gathered in the upper room that night, they were observing the Passover. And Jesus then took the bread that they would have used in the Passover meal. And this was a common Tradition, this was something they had been following as Jews for thousands of years. And he took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he broke that bread up into pieces as a picture of the body of Christ that would that same night be broken in crucifixion. And he broke that. And then he said later on then that we should do this in remembrance of him. This is to remember what Christ did for us. So we're still doing this 2,000 years after that, to remember what Jesus did for us. What we're doing here this morning does not save you. It does not give you eternal life. Rather, it's a picture of what Christ did for us because it's only through what Christ did that we can have eternal life, not through just eating some bread and drinking some juice. But as we do this this morning, we should be remembering and thanking God for what Christ did for us. So we're going to take a moment pass this bread out when you get it this morning just hold on to it for a minute and I'll instruct you when you can partake of it with me if you're not prepared for some reason to take this with us this morning feel free to pass it by and just let it go and that'll be fine this morning let's take a moment men would you pass this out and when he had given thanks he break it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me Father, we thank you for the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf, that he gave his life so that we could have eternal life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. And then it says that he took the cup. And uh, as the bread is a picture of the body of Christ as it was broken for us, the cup is a picture of his blood that was shed on the cross for our sin. And uh, in thinking a lot about this, I've thought, you know, this, this sounds very bloody, it's very messy. But I think that's for a reason. Helps us to better understand the severity of our sin. And it was only through Christ giving everything He had and shedding His blood that we could have forgiveness of sin. So this is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross in shedding His blood for us. We're going to pass this out now as well. Here it says, After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. <clears throat> 